brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as he always does, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. He who holds the spice controls the galaxy. Uh-oh. Dune. Yeah, there you go. Nice. <laughs> that that, And we're done. Yeah. Uh, today we're going to talk about something that's inspired by a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Damon. Damon says, I was just wondering how a plasma cutter works. Is it something to do with electricity? Yours truly, Damon. Damon, that was very nice and short and to the point. So we're going to answer your question. Yes. We're going to go into more detail than just the fact that, yes, it does use electricity. So plasma cutters are a – it's just one uh, one use for a plasma torch. Mm Mm-hmm. And a plasma torch is a device that uh, uses a, a usually an inert gas, mm-hmm. uh, pressurized, uh, pushed through a nozzle. And uh, at the nozzle, there's an electrode that's shooting off pretty powerful electricity, which turns the gas into what is called the fourth state of matter, plasma. Oh, wait, no. Here in my notes, it says there are five states of matter, solid, liquid, gas, plasma, and New Hampshire. Well, there you go. That's the fourth state. See, oh, okay. New I see. Hampshire I got it now. The fifth state I've got of it matter. Okay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you get to li- answer that listener mail. Uh, That's what you have just earned for there, yourself. There Mr. is matter in New Hampshire. Moving on. So plasma. Plasma is an ionized gas. We've talked about it before on this podcast because it does factor into other technologies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's a it's a gas that has free-roaming electrons, which means that it conducts electricity. Um, it also can, quote-unquote, burn really, really hot. Yes. As a matter of fact, hotter than the surface of the sun. Yes. We're talking like 6,000 degrees Celsius. That's um, that's pretty toasty. Yep. And uh, the it, it, it turns out this is really, really handy for things like cutting through material, or mm-hmm. um, we're going to get into a really cool application in a minute about how you can use a plasma torch to turn garbage into energy. Yes. But let's start excited let's start off slow here. Okay. Um, so you're using this ionized gas. Uh, it's burning at this really high temperature. It actually breaks stuff down in a process that we call molecular dissociation, mm-hmm. which literally means that it starts to break down the molecules because the energy that they absorb is so great, the molecular bonds can no longer hold. Right. So it comes apart. Right, because normally there is a cloud of electrons uh, circling the nucleus of the atom. Right. And uh, at that at that point, the electrons are more loosely bound and sometimes split off. Right. And you end up with uh, with much more basic particles mm-hmm. as opposed to molecules. And uh, it doesn't use combustion. So no. it's, not, it's not burning like a traditional torch. No. Uh, and, you know, a traditional torch, you need a fuel, you need heat, and you need... Um, Air. Air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oxygen. And you don't need oxygen for uh, for a plasma torch to work. Right. Um, and so it's it's using a uh, uh, it's using heat in a process that we call pyrolysis. Mm-hmm. All right. Now this is when 
technically, now this is for organic matter. This is not for inorganic matter. Right. That's a different thing entirely. Right. So pyrolysis uh, is a a process in which organic matter breaks down uh, and decomposes. Now, when you apply a plasma torch to organic matter, pyrolysis happens, um, let's say, on an accelerated basis. Okay. Like practically instantaneous, as opposed to taking years and years and years. Um, so this means that plasma torches are very useful for lots of different environments. For example, underwater, mm-hmm. you could use a plasma torch because, again, you're just shooting out gas and you're, you're injecting it with electrons, essentially. So you could use a plasma torch to cut through material underwater and not have to worry about the fact that oxygen, you know, you have a real hard time lighting a, a traditional torch underwater. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really good for cutting through pretty much anything. I mean, at that temperature, it it's going to manage to make its way through tons and tons of different stuff. Mm-hmm. So we do find them very useful in, in lots of different uh, applications. And the one that I really wanted to talk about, which really it goes beyond the plasma cutters, which, you know, that's interesting enough. But I, I really wanted to talk about plasma waste converters. Okay. Now. Do you want to just jump into that then? Sure. Okay, we can. I mean, unless you had something more to say specifically about plasma cutters. Well, no, I was I was going to bring up uh, when we started to learn about them because it really wasn't even all that long ago uh, sure, during yeah. World War II that they discovered that this could be that this could be possible. Um, basically, what was going on was uh, you know the American war effort required a lot of uh, different kinds of machinery to be fabricated very quickly, and they discovered this uh, this arc process that we've been describing, uh, basically by, uh, you know, just the, the techniques they were using then to, uh, they started off with, you know, arc welding. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were able to, uh, they realized that, you know, charging the gas with the current uh, made a barrier around where the weld was. Um, and it protected it from oxidizing, which is very useful. Um, and uh, it also made very, very clean cuts, which is why they uh, they're using it for, uh, plasma torches, or using plasma torches for you know cutting purposes, and then um, you know in the 1960s, basically what would happen is uh, they they realized that once you speed up the flow of gas um, and cutting down the size of the hole through which it is being released, you could it would keep higher temperatures than any other type of uh, of welder, mm-hmm. and um, you know. That's exactly when they started cutting was because, you know, they, they discovered the, the properties of using this method uh, in, in the welding process. But then once they, they started experimenting with it some more, found out that it, it makes it's awesome for cutting. And it can cut through all kinds of different uh, heavy-duty metals that you wouldn't be able to cut so finely uh, using any other process and, and so simply, really. Right. Um, so that's why it's so so awesome for that. I'm, I just wanted to touch on the history of it a little bit because, um, you know, this is not something we've known about for you know a long time like some of the other uh, technologies we talk about sure and it's only been uh, a couple of decades since uh, someone thought to to apply it to waste management yeah that's even newer so so i'm sure you're all aware that that waste management is a huge issue you know it's mm-hmm. it's a problem in a lot of different communities. We talk about pollution. We talk about uh, the the need to create 
large landfills, mm-hmm. dumping sites. Then, of course, there are the big dumping sites out in the, the ocean that we don't really like to think about, but they're out there. Yep. Um, and we've, you know, people have tried to come up with lots of different ways of solving this problem. Everything from just cutting down the amount of waste we generate, which, you know, that, that's part of it. That's important. Big part of it. But, uh, but we're getting new people every day. And even if you start cutting back the amount of materials you're, you're consuming, the number of people that are uh, added to the planet kind of makes that a, a very slow process. I mean, eventually it all catches up to you again. So there are other things you can look at, like, you know, the people have tried to burn trash, but of course that often will generate other kinds of pollution. Yes. Uh, including pollutants that will eventually cause acid rain in the future. Um, and that's clearly not good either. Mm-hmm. And then there are other, you know, semi-outlandish proposals like shooting it off into space so that we, you know, we stop polluting the earth. We'll just start polluting everything else. <laughs> now, granted, space is big. I mean, yes. really big. Well, if you need space for your stuff, there's always space. <clears throat> At any rate, <laughs> assuming you don't want to just, you know, find new places to throw stuff away, you want to find a way of, of getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where plasma waste converters come in. Now, a plasma waste converter has at its heart a plasma torch. Yeah. Now, the plasma torch is inside a furnace. Uh, and inside that furnace, what you do is you, you dump garbage yes. in there. Uh, normally, the garbage has to go through a, uh, a process where it gets crunched up into smaller bits first. But once it goes into the furnace, the plasma torch causes it to uh, to transform and there are two different transformations that happen yes uh, to the organic material you have volatilization also known as gasification uh, the organic material gets turned into gases yes synthetic gases or syngas right and then you've got uh, the inorganic compounds so anything that's not carbon based essentially is what you're talking about here yes um it becomes vitrified. Uh, it turns into slag. It kind of looks like lava when it's coming out of a, a plasma waste converter. Yeah. You know, it's that bright reddish orange glowing liquid material. And uh, as it cools, it becomes, it, if, if you were to allow it to air cool, it turns into this kind of hard, glassy, rocky substance. It kind of looks like um, obsidian. There's the, the lava connection again. Yeah, it looks a lot like. Uh, Obsidian. So, if you've ever seen a volcanic rock, that's a lot like what the the uh, the cooled version of slag from a pl- plasma waste converter looks like. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's so you've got the the volatilized material and the vitrified material. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, depending on how you cool that slag, it can turn into many different formats. Like air cooled, it looks like those little rocks, like I was mentioning. Yes. If you cool it with water, it turns into these little pebbles. So they don't like it doesn't look like little rock. Uh, it doesn't look like rocks as in you know jagged edges or anything like that. It's just it's almost like a fine sand. Mm-hmm. And then if you blow compressed air through it, which I would not recommend anyone try to do if they had somehow managed to build a plasma waste converter because it's scary to look at. I was I was going to say uh, how many just how many of our listeners do you think actually have a plasma waste converter in their backyard? You know. I mean, it's good that you're warning people, it's, but it's a I do hell, find it unlikely. I will admit, it's a hell of a do-it-yourself project. Yes, it is. Okay, but 
you know, just saying. No, but anyway, if you were to somehow find a way where you could blow compressed air through the stream of slag as it's coming out of the plasma waste converter, it turns into this very, very thin material. Almost feels kind of like cotton or insulation, mm-hmm. and uh, it's called rock wool. And um, it's, I actually saw a video of this stuff being made. It's just these two guys. Uh, standing around guy from uh, Georgia Tech, actually, mm-hmm. someone I, I chatted with quite a bit when I was writing an article about this. Um, but it, the video of him blowing compressed air through this molten stream of material was really impressive and kind of scary because it's yeah. just these two guys standing there <laughs> blowing compressed air through material that's so hot that it would do you serious harm if you touched it. Right. Um, but, it, but it turns into rock wool, which turns out to be a, a really good insulator. And... Uh, and could be a, a way of making money off plasma waste converters. But we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how they can generate cash. So anyway, you, you get this, you put the garbage through this stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are the, the, the products you get, the send gas and the, the slag. Right. And um, you end up reducing the amount of weight and space of that garbage significantly. One other benefit to using a plasma waste converter to get rid of your stuff is that uh, you can treat all kinds of garbage in there that you might not otherwise want buried in landfills that because of, uh, you know, it could be dangerous. Sure. For example, medical waste. Uh, which could be infectious. Um, basically, medical waste can be treated in a plasma waste converter, and it you know it's inert once it's done because you know it it breaks materials down to the point where they are no longer what they once were, and you know it's no longer dangerous. However, there are limits to how not dangerous uh, things can be. Uh, one of the things that you cannot uh, just grab a bucket and throw into the plasma waste converter is uh, spent nuclear rods. Uh, right, that's so, a, that is what they call, in scientific terms, bad. So if you are a do-it-yourselfer and you've built your plasma waste converter in your backyard, not only should you not blow compressed air through the slag, but also please don't put any spent, spent nuclear, nuclear rods. rods in there. Yeah. I mean, let's be, let's I be responsible. <laughs> okay, then. So, you know, I mentioned that the weight and the uh, the volume are reduced. Yes. It's actually reduced by a very significant amount. I mean, granted, a lot of the stuff's being turned into gas. Yes. And then a lot of it is being turned into the slag, and the slag is much more dense than the original material, usually, that you mm-hmm. put through this. So, in general, uh, the weight of the slag ends up being about 20% of the weight of the original waste you put in there. Wow. And the volume is 5%. So, in other words, it takes up much less space. It's very dense. Um, often the slag, if it's dried so that it becomes the rocky substance, could be used in, in uh, building materials. So, like concrete or, or even uh, just just using it as, you know, uh, gravel, really. Um, but the neat thing about these, these plasma waste converters, now there aren't a whole lot of them out there right now. There's only a few. There's a couple in Japan, and there's one that was being built in Florida. I actually haven't looked to see how the progress has gone with that one. It should mm-hmm. have been operational by now. Um, but these, the, the really cool thing about these is that not only would they eventually be able to take in all the incoming garbage coming into the landfill to process, but some of them operate at such a huge capacity. We're talking thousands of tons of garbage every day. Right. That not only could they handle all the incoming garbage, but could actually make a dent in the existing garbage at the landfill. Why are you going around denting garbage? Um, I'm just pointing out that 
if we were to invest in this technology, eventually we could reclaim landfills. You could actually mm-hmm. end up using them uh, uh, enough so that the landfill is gone mm-hmm. because you've um, you've consumed all the the garbage in there. Now, granted, you would still be getting incoming garbage, so it's not like you could just shut down. You know, you wouldn't. These these aren't like. Uh, these aren't facilities that you you start up and then like 20 years later they're insignificant or uh, or obsolete. No, you would still be taking incoming garbage in and, and still gasifying or, or uh, vitrifying it. Mm-hmm. But uh, you could reclaim all those landfills. That's pretty impressive, really. Considering that well, you know all things considered. Yeah, I mean, think about all the different communities that really fight. Uh, to have to to uh, pr- to prevent landfills from right. moving in, um, it would be a good way to reclaim all that land, use it for something else once it's cleaned, um, and one of the the really cool uh, ideas I saw was to it, you know, if building a whole plasma waste center is too much money, um, you could always make a portable version. Oh, good. Yeah, this one's kind of scary. <laughs> so here's the portable idea. The portable idea is that you go to a landfill, you drill down into the landfill, you insert into the hole a, uh, a plasma torch on the end of a very long pole. You cap the hole at the top with a chamber that can capture escaping gases, and you light that sucker up. Seriously. Yeah. The landfill itself becomes the furnace for the plasma waste converter. Instead of building a furnace around the torch, the landfill itself acts as a furnace. And again, since you're not com- using combustion, you don't set fire to everything. There's no oxygen down there, or at least not enough to actually create a fire. You're just you're consuming the landfill from the inside out. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea that was possible. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know that anyone's actually done it yet <laughs> but i saw a really cool presentation of it at georgia tech well um i would also assume that uh, since plasma cutters are available uh, for people to buy that this is something you really wouldn't want to try that you theoretically could possibly do you know try to burn your own garbage this would be a, that would be a, a bad extremely bad idea and i'll tell you exactly why it's a bad idea okay beside the fact that you would possibly maim and or kill yourself yes um the gas that's given off, the organic gas, mm-hmm. the syngas, is not necessarily harmless. Oh, now we, we talked about how the materials get broken down into into very inert uh, forms. Mm-hmm. That mainly pertains to the slag. All right, so the, when the slag comes out, one of the one of the big concerns about plasma waste converters is there's a lot of stuff that's in garbage. I mean, there's mercury, there's lead, there's all these materials that. Eventually, you know that you only break them down so far, right? Right. It's not like you can change the atoms. Um, well, there was a worry that maybe the slag, the stuff could leach out of the slag, get into the groundwater, and then you really just traded one problem for another really serious problem. Sure. It looks like the material doesn't leach out anything. So that concern is gone. But stuff that turns into a gas that is toxic. That remains, uh-huh. and it's only through a process of scrubbing that gas by putting it through a series of filters mm-hmm. that you start taking out the harmful elements that could otherwise, uh, you know, cause serious damage and or kill people. Right, but it's it's mainly um, hydrogen and carbon monoxide. 
yeah, it's given off, but there's other stuff that can be exactly in it as well. Yeah. Is what you're saying? And carbon monoxide's not the healthiest stuff in the world either. <laughs> but not, granted, not even granted, you know, a little whiff of it's not gonna instantaneously kill you but yes it is it is toxic um, but yeah that's why if you look at a, a full plasma waste converter system there is a after you, after you've burned everything there's still more to the system besides that you usually have at the front of the system you've got a conveyor belt carries the garbage to some grinders which grind it down into tiny bits the tiny bits go into the furnace the furnace burns that stuff up uh, or melts it I guess is a better way of putting it and gasifies it the gas goes into one part of the system and the slag gets drained off. Mm-hmm. Now, the gas usually will go through uh, a cleaning system, like I mentioned, where it'll go through uh, usually a spray of water, which helps cool it down because this gas is incredibly hot after coming out of the furnace. And then it goes through uh, – it also scrubs the gas out of, uh, of some pollutants and some particulates that are usually included in the gas. And then it will go through a, uh, a filter that has um, base in it. Mm-hmm. And that's because the gas can have acidic elements in it. And, of course, when you mix an acid with a base, what do you get? Um, shoot, pH is 7. What is that? All right. It's neutral, but the more important thing is you get a salt. Oh, right. Base plus acid equals salt. Great. Um, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, that's embarrassing. Only reason I know it is because it's in the paragraph right in front of me. I forgot that. It's been a long time since I've had high school chemistry. Yeah. Um, but yes. Stuff from the science lab. Now, all of our Help. listeners, of course, were screaming it out. Because, I know. They were. They <laughs> like, were. 95% of them are in high school chemistry right now. Uh, hey, guys. How's it going? Anyway, so, yeah, you get you get a neutral salt as a result. And... Uh, it goes through this cleaning process. It's usually several steps so that you end up with a synthetic gas that um, can actually be used as a fuel. So now we're getting to why or how a plasma waste converter can be profitable. Right. Because we, we know that environmentally this sounds like a fantastic idea. I mean, you get rid of all this garbage. You end up with some synthetic gas that can be used as a fuel. You end up with some slag that's inert. It sounds like a dream come true, right? Well, sort of. More or less. I mean, better than a bunch of big pile of garbage sitting out back, right? Right. So, Absolutely. But we know that the world revolves around making cash. Yes. Money, pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters, dollar bills, hundred dollar bills. I bet no one got that reference. Anyway, uh, so... It is all about the Benjamins. It is all about... There you go. They'll get that reference. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the, uh, the, the, the way that they can make cash is that, one, there's this... Uh, there's these, this thing called tipping fees. Yes. Now, tipping fees refer to the amount of money or the money that people have to pay in order to be able to um, to cart garbage to a landfill. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, right now, waste management is kind of a almost a monopoly. So the landfills can pretty much dictate the tipping fees. There's no real competition there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no incentive to lower tipping fees. Populations are growing and consumption continues to grow. So really, uh, these these fees are getting higher and higher. It's getting more and more expensive to, to just pay to have garbage shipped to landfills. Mm-hmm. With plasma waste converters, you're not worried about running out of space anymore. In fact, you're making space. So the tipping fees could be uh, negotiated to a lower level. I'm but sure that would make the waste management companies really happy. Yeah, um, yeah. When it comes down to making money, it's but then it's it's also stop making money. It's also really hard some. for them to justify uh, protesting. 
because protesting the fact that, hey, we're saving the world, but we're not making as much money doesn't get you a lot of sympathy, as it turns out. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so they could negotiate tipping fees, and tipping fees would be part of what how they would make money. They could also sell the slag, mm-hmm. however, in whatever format, whether it was being used as a... Uh, you know, like a, a gravel or a building material, or if they were making rock wool, they could sell it like insulation. Mm-hmm. It's uh, apparently extremely effective as insulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the gas, they could actually generate enough gas from destroying this garbage to create fuel to run the facility itself. So in that sense, they don't need to consume power from the power grid. And in fact, they could potentially create enough gas to sell power back to the power grid. Well, that would be nice. Because you would uh, generate this gas, you could run a generator and then generate electricity and add it to the power grid. Um, A lot of people have asked me in the past, does this mean that it's some sort of magical kind of a of way of generating energy because you think about that it sounds like how can something generate more energy than it takes to run it mm-hmm. um, the answer to that is it's it's using fuel it's just it, all it do all it's doing is converting fuel from one format into another um, it's not you know it's not like a perpetual motion machine it's kind of like the idea of well if a, an oil drill consumed more energy than it generated by gathering fuel, it would make no sense to drill for oil, right? Uh, yeah. Because what you'd, you'd, you'd think. You'd be, yeah, because you'd have to pour more energy into the drill than you would get out of right. the fuel you were... Right. It's the same sort of thing. Think of it like an oil drill. It's not like a perpetual motion machine. It's more like an oil drill because you're, you're gathering fuel up from garbage. Right. So, um, yeah, that's the way that they could make money. Now, Getting the initial investment to build one of these things has been tricky because they are expensive. How could that possibly be so? Yeah, well, mostly because they're all customized. Well, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> true. Um, one of the things uh, in the article on uh, on plasma waste converters is the fact that every single plant that there is in existence now is custom. So yeah. it's all unique. Yeah, and it turns out designing a a facility from the ground up costs lots of money. It does seem pricey, yes. Yeah. and um, and Although I'm sure you could get some really nice uh, parts with clean edges if you use plasma cutters. Well, and it's also a matter of educating the communities about what the plasma waste converter is doing, the benefits of it, and any potential drawbacks. Because you have to be completely upfront about that. I mean, otherwise people are going to worry about it. I mean, let's put it this way. If you were told... Like if you had no knowledge of plasma waste converters at all, right? And you were told, "Hey, I want to build this facility that, at its heart, is going to have a torch that burns bright, hotter than the surface of the sun. It's going to give off gas, which could potentially kill you, and a molten slag. Um, and uh, we're just going to throw your garbage in there. Are you all right with that? <laughs> you might have a little pause. First. Sure thing, chief. Right? Uh, I mean, unless you just had lots of garbage and you're like, dude, anything to get rid of this stuff. Yes." Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so it's it's a little intimidating at first, too. It takes a little time to understand this. But um, just to give one last little bit of, of uh, um, kind of statistics. Please this, do. This is what Chuck would do if he were here. Ah. He's the statistic guy. Uh, the, the proposed facility in Florida is supposed to be in St. Lucie County. Like I said, I mm-hmm. hadn't looked to see. I should have checked to see if they had built it. It should be up and running by now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but the idea was that it would be able to process up to a thousand tons of garbage each day and generate 67 megawatt hours of, of power each day uh, with a net output of 33 megawatt hours because, of course, it has to consume some to keep going. Um, and that it could eventually scale up to 3,000 tons of waste per day by adding a couple of modular units to the already existing ones. And mm-hmm. that, um, that potentially it would uh, be able to completely eliminate the landfill in less than two decades. Wow. And it could power 98,000 homes. Seriously? Wow. Yeah, just from garbage. So that's uh, pretty cool, I think. Okay, so uh, our, uh, our sister site, Treehugger. Yeah, says that uh, the uh, the plant in St. Lucie County, Florida, is expected to be online by 2011. Oh, cool! So, so not in not the quite too distant yet. future, but it hasn't yeah. happened yet. Well, I look forward to reading more about that because I find the whole the whole model to be fascinating. Yeah, and, it's pretty neat and potentially a real game changer. But you definitely don't want to be right next to it. Well, I definitely don't want to be in the furnace. No, I know that. no. Wouldn't be in there for very long. Yeah, I, I just wonder. I imagine you'd probably have to stay pretty far away from it. I'm sure they have insulation, but Yeah, still, actually, they are wow. very heavily insulated. They have water cooling systems that run yeah. through because you think about that. Like, if it burns hotter than the surface of the sun, what the heck could withstand that kind of heat? You know, just, just sort of a trivia fact, really, but uh, something that was in the article we didn't, I don't think you mentioned, uh, the slag, which isn't immediately drained off, can actually help... Can Continue to heat the uh, the furnace. Yes, which is uh, which is also pretty neat because once it's converted, it's already producing energy, heat energy, and it's well not producing it; it's maintaining it. I guess. Right, and uh, actually, the the sorry. heat itself can be recaptured and and used to generate uh, or to turn. Well, it ends up converting water into steam, which then turns turbines, which right. generates energy, electricity specifically. And uh, fascinating. So yeah, there are a lot of different ways that you could create electricity using this system, all by just you know getting rid of some garbage. And we don't have too much of that running around. Anyway. We try to trim it from this podcast whenever possible. Well, that, that, so that's uh, why I've been missing from the last six. Anyway. Well, I have I have now, we've we've done plasma cutters. We talked about plasma waste converters. Yes, I uh-huh. want to move on to a second round of listener mail. Now, this listener mail specifically comes from Brian, although we received other people asking the same question, including Dante, so I mm-hmm. wanted to give a shout-out to both of them. Uh, the question is, you spoke a lot about how listening to music with earbuds can lead to hearing loss if volume is too high, but what about listening to speech, like the Tech Stuff podcast? Oh, well, I may lose hearing, but I'll gain smarts. Brian. Yes, Brian, uh, any loud noise, um, especially a sustained loud noise, even even if there are short breaks, like mm-hmm. in speech. Uh, if you listen to it over a, a, a stretch of time, like, for instance, a typical tech stuff podcast, you can cause hearing damage. Yes. Does not have to be music. Does not have to be ACDC. Does not have to be a jackhammer or a jet engine. Yeah. Loud noise, bad for ears. Right. Right. So just in general, just try and uh, keep those ears safe, okay? And if any of you have any questions, comments, you have a, a topic you want to suggest, you just want to say hello, you can write us our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com and Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?